thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay, great. It's good to, good to be here. We're going to be finishing off the book of Titus this morning um, before next week we finish one little letter, which is just one chapter long. And so we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. Um, but I, I don't know where all of you have, have come to come from this morning to be here. I don't know what place you're in. I don't know what mood you're in. I don't know where, where you, you're feeling in terms of how close you are to God, if at all. But this morning, I believe, Titus chapter 3, as he finishes, as Paul finishes his letter to a church leader, I believe it says something for all of us not just leaders. Um, those of you who were children of the 80s and 90s, uh, there was a toy that came out, and some of you will know it now because it's still around. It's been massively successful, and it was called the Transformer. Anyone had a Transformer? Got a Transformer? Okay. No? No? Okay. The, oh, Paul had one. Yeah, Tim, you had a Transformer. Very good. I don't mean like the electrical sort that you probably put in your car or something, you know. The actual toy, yeah? And I meant to bring one we've got at home because the whole, the whole tagline of Transformers was Transformers, robots in disguise. Okay, but yeah, you all joined in, didn't you? Okay, you all joined. It's like, if I go, there you go, thank you. It's like Pavlovian responses. Okay, so Transformers, robots in disguise. We've got a massive one at home that we, we've kept for whenever there's children coming around. And I haven't got, got a clue how you make it into a... It's supposed to be a lorry that goes into a robot. I have not got the first clue how you actually get anywhere near it looking like a, tr a truck. It always looks like a robot to me. But the Transformers were a massive thing. Or, and I nearly showed a clip from this, but I decided it was too graphic to show. But in the 80s, there was a television program called Manimal. Does anyone remember it? Manimal was a TV program about a guy, and I don't actually know how he got the, the, the power, the superpower, but he transformed into different animals depending on the circumstance. And there was a clip of him, his hand used to start bubbling away before he transformed, and sometimes he'd be a jaguar, sometimes he'd be a hawk, and sometimes he'd be, anyone remember this? Yeah, well, Chris remembers it, that's good. Just go on YouTube if you're over a certain age and Google Manimal Transforms into Hawk. It's pretty horrendous and I watched this as a child, but anyway, it's probably why I'm like I am. But uh, the Incredible Hulk, there's one we all know. He transformed when he was angry. And I know there's probably a few people in here who do the same. Maybe you don't rip off your clothes. And he always had purple shorts. Didn't matter what colour trousers he had on, always had purple shorts. Jekyll and Hyde, Spider-Man... We are obsessed with stories of transformation. Would you agree? We are obsessed. Even My Fair Lady, Pygmalion, Eliza Doolittle from the street to the aristocracy. We are obsessed with stories of transformation. Well, this morning, as we read Titus chapter 3, God is also obsessed with stories of transformation. He wants to see us transformed, to be transformers, not robots in disguise, okay? but to have an impact. So that's going to read. I'm just going to read the whole of Titus chapter 3. 
And then we're going to look at a few little sections of it. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Paul's writing to, to this church. It says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. I'll ex- just exa- exaggerate that. Always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. There's a few things I want to look at as we look at this passage today, and it's going to be very simple because I believe there's a very simple message at the heart of it. I'm going to look at where we were, where we are, and where we need to be. So where we were, where we are, and where we need to be. So maybe you can look at back on your life and think, well, that's where I was, and now I'm here, you know? I was there, and now I'm here. I've got a chemistry degree. I've not mentioned it for a while. I did that. I never used it, but then I taught, and I was a primary school teacher. Then I did youth work, and now I'm doing what I'm... I don't really know what I'm doing now, to be fair. And people will probably go, amen, Johnny, we know. (laughs) But actually, where I was isn't where God necessarily wanted me to stay, isn't where God wanted me to be. But where we were, if I look at this passage, I look at verse 3 and then verses 9 to 11, because this tells me where we were. So it says this in verse 3, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's where we were. We were hating, we were hating others, we were being hated, we were divisive, we were doing all those things that, that, because basically we shouldn't have been. Whatever we were, whether we were living as a good person or God's person, there were times where we were foolish and argumentative. And then verses 9 to 11 
add to that. It says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. We don't like to look back much at certain things, do we? If I asked you to look back at your past, you might raise the things that you like. But actually, there's often things we don't like to look back on. Would you agree? There's times we'd rather forget. You know, who would rather forget the sort of one and a half years of COVID? There may be a few people. Some people have really enjoyed having that time and have realized that actually they quite liked spending time at home with their family. Some people have found that a struggle. But actually, we don't often like to look back on certain things. Or or the alternative is this. We spend a lot of energy looking back on certain things. Yeah? Anyone here spent a lot of energy looking back on something that they've held on to? Like a grudge. Looking back on something that they know they should have moved forwards from. Looking back on things that actually, they don't need to stay in that place. Recently, the, the men who came to Excel heard of living life with their eyes looking forwards instead of on the rearview mirror. Because if you spend your life looking just at the rearview mirror, you're going to crash your car. It's the same in life. If you spend your whole life just looking back at what has been, then things are going to crash. Things aren't going to be good. You know, Paul has written to Titus, leading a church in Crete, in a society of drunk, greedy folk who are selfish and hedonistic. We could perhaps say it's not dissimilar to where we live today. Even if people wouldn't like to admit it, even people who are part of churches sometimes have these traits. Maybe selfish, maybe self comes first. Maybe we're greedy, maybe we're hedonistic, maybe we're just looking for pleasure. Last week, as Jeff spoke, the one constant in all the age groups. Now, if you came to a connect group, you had to assess whether you were a young man, a young lady, an old man or an old lady. Now, obviously, I was a young man. Uh, That's the way it was. But I'd like to put it to you this. It's not just about age. It's about maturity. It's about maturity. There are people in here who are old men and old women who are very young in age because they've got so much of God. But last week, the one constant for all of those groups, whether you were young or old, whether you were male or female, whatever you were, the one constant was God wants us to be self-controlled. He wants us to be controlling of our desires, controlling of our selfish needs, controlling of our nature. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit that always surprises me is self-control. In other words, if we fill ourselves with more of the Holy Spirit, if we fill ourselves with more of Jesus, then we will be more self-controlled because we will know what God wants and what God doesn't want. But what were we? This passage says we were foolish. Anyone want to hold their hands up and say, I'm still foolish? <laughs> Faith, but well done. You've got to wait to, what's the, is it read the whole question you're supposed to do? You know, listen to the whole question. I think we still have tendencies to be foolish because our human nature comes through and we make rash decisions. Sometimes when we're tired, sometimes when we're, we're grumpy, although I don't ever get grumpy, I don't think. That's right, Okay. What we were is foolish, disobedient. We don't like to hear some of these words. Disobedient sounds a little bit formal, doesn't it? It basically just means not really doing the right thing. If I say it like that, it doesn't sound as harsh, but it still means the same. 
not doing the right thing. Malicious. Oof, that's a strong word, isn't it? Hate-filled. Well, all of us. I said to you today, who here is hate-filled? I don't think anyone will put the hand up. But if I said to you today, who sometimes gets a bit miffed with somebody? Let's put it like that. Maybe God is saying, you're a little bit miffed with somebody. That actually is probably a similar equivalent. Because actually God doesn't want any of those feelings. He doesn't want any of that dislike. Because it leads to the last thing in that passage, which is divisive. God is all about unity. Unity. What does unity mean? It means being one. One, going forwards together. Being one in sound mind. Being one. In other words, not separate. The devil wants to sow division. That's his job. He wants to sow division in our marriages. He wants to sow division in our families. He wants to sow division in our relationships. He wants to sow division in the church. Because if he does that, then actually he's won. Because what does God's word say? It says, by this, all men will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. So if there's disunity, we're not showing that love. If there's division, we're not showing that we're his. So if any of us are playing our part in that, we need to put it right. That's what this letter is saying. It's quite a stern one, isn't it? Saying we need to put it right. We need to be transformed. Not a robot in disguise, but a God person in the wide open. Jesus' people living free, living well. Disunity will only bring disaster. Division will only bring dislike. If we're doing things to sow those seeds, even if we're doing it without really knowing it, we need to stop. We need to stop. You know, recently, many of the readings that I've had um, have been really specific about having God at the front of everything we do. One of the passages I read even said this phrase. It said, everything we do has to be drenched in Jesus. Have you ever been drenched? You know, the rain recently, yeah? Okay. You know, I saw a couple standing by a bus stop the other day and a lorry went past and they basically went through the puddle and honestly, they must have been horrendously drenched. They were wet through, soaked to the skin. You know that moment when even, even when you manage to get your wet clothes off and manage to start getting changed, you still feel soaked through, yeah? That is what the Bible tells me. If I am one of God's people today, I have to be drenched in Jesus, not just on the surface, but right down to the core, right down to the center. And if I'm not drenched in Jesus, and if what I do is not drenched in Jesus, then there really isn't a lot of point. There's lots of people in our town, in our cities, in our world who do good things. But we're here to do God things, to be drenched, to be absolutely, absolutely drenched in Jesus, both as individuals and as church community. So Paul talks to Titus and says, this is how you were. This is how we were. He's telling us today, this is how we were. Disobedient, going against the things that God is asking us to do. Today, search our hearts. Where are we being disobedient? Where are we going against what God would have us do? Where are we not being drenched with Jesus? Maybe a lot of these things start to creep into who and how we are now. Not just who we were. 
but how we are now. Are we encouraging division and disunity? Hate is a strong word. I think I've said this before. There was a song that went, hate is a strong word, but I really, really, really don't like you. That doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it any better. It's the same thing. You know, maybe we have a dislike. Maybe even this morning, if I've said, put your hands up if you have had a strong disagreement. I think most of us would put our hands up, wouldn't we? Because actually, the Bible says we need to sort it out. Don't be left holding on to it. Don't be left with it festering. Stop blaming and holding on to these things. Paul goes on to write about foolish controversies and quarreling. Any of us quarrel? Any of us come into church today and talked about our genealogies? No? No? Anyone? Well, that's what they were doing. Why? Because it was so important to them. The genealogy was who was in their family tree. And they would boast about who was in their family tree. You know, a bit like, who do you think you are on the telly? I don't watch it. But I'm guessing most of the time they find people who've been pirates and burglars and murderers. Very rare, probably, do they find somebody who is an amazing person. I might be wrong. But in the Jewish culture, they would boast about who was in their family tree. They would say, oh, look, I've got a king here. Or I've got somebody really rich here. And they would big themselves up because of who was in their past. Do you know, this passage is telling me we need to only big up the person who's in our present and in our future. We've sung this morning, he was and is and is to come. That is Jesus. That is what we're supposed to big up. That's what we're supposed to be showing. That's what we're supposed to be drenched in. Paul says, stop the foolish controversies and quarreling. And I thought, what would that look like today? What controversies do we have today? You know, what quarreling do we have today? What disagreements do we have within the church? Well, you know, maybe today it might be football teams, you know? I've, I've agreed to not talk about it with Jeff, haven't I, Jeff? We've, we've made a commitment not to talk about it because both our teams are very good. But then everyone else is now feeling a bit put out. But actually, football, maybe we start arguing about something really stupid. Or maybe, maybe it's musical styles. Yeah? Maybe it's like, oh, I don't like that song. I have to say, guys, great job this morning. Sounded excellent. I, I have to sit out every week. <laughs> great job. Maybe it's musical styles. Maybe we think, actually, I can remember being a, a child in the 80s and in the 70s. I wasn't in the 60s, so that's okay. But I can remember being given a book to read called Pop Goes the Gospel. Okay, anyone read that book? You know, Christian book it was. And it was all about tearing down. The Bible says encourage, build one another up. You know, we need to have a culture of encouragement. A culture that says, wow. A culture that says, that's amazing. But actually, this book... Basically was saying, oh, Amy Grant, Christian artist at the time, really well known, did some amazing songs. She wore a, a winter cloak on one of her videos and they basically tried to paint her as a witch because she had a cloak on. And it's like, what? what? What planet are you on? It was just to keep her warm because it was snowing in the video. It wasn't anything else. But actually, I can remember going to churches where they wouldn't allow guitars the guitar was the devil's instrument. But they'd have a pipe organ. Now, if you read the Bible, stringed instruments are mentioned a lot more than pipe instruments. Just saying. But it became a controversy, didn't it? A foolish controversy. A foolish quarrel where people went, oh, 
the guitar. I mean, Cliff Richards sang, didn't he? Why, surely I mentioned Cliff this morning. Why should the devil have all the good music? Because he had, you know, the guitar was seen as this, oh, rebellious thing. And we can get involved with silly arguments that actually don't really matter. Because actually, I don't think God cares whether we worship him with a pipe organ, with a guitar, with a keyboard, even with bagpipes. Don't particularly like them personally, but... I don't think God has a problem with that. The important thing is we're lifting our eyes and we're lifting our voice and we're lifting our lives to him. So does it matter what we play? Does it matter what songs? If you don't know the songs, read the words as a prayer. Doesn't matter. What matters is we're fixing our eyes on him. What matters is we're raising our voice to say he is the one. Holy, holy, holy. You know? I, I've been to, to churches where they've asked me to talk about worship and often the big arguments against worship are things like uh, vain repetition. That was a phrase that was used back in the day. Those of you from the Brethren churches, vain repetition, or we shouldn't just repeat things. Read Revelation, the heaven's throne room, it just says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They throw the thrones down, then they do it again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then they do it again. That's because it's all about Jesus. It's not about our taste. Soul Survivor, when the music fades, as a church, that song was written because they decided to get rid of everything out of the service and just turn up. They lost a lot of people. But the reason they did it was because they overheard after the service somebody saying, oh, the worship didn't do much for me today. And the comment was, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's for him. It's for him. Our worship is entirely for God. You know, it might even be one of the quarrels is who gets the last Greg's donut after church. Or well, they've had more than me. <laughs> Was that Zion then? Sorry, Tim. Did you say? Okay, the first donut. But Paul says, stop going on about the importance. They were quarreling about genealogies. What was the purpose of a genealogy? The purpose of a genealogy was to raise yourself higher. So stop making it about you. Stop making it about me. Stop making it about us. They, was, they were arguing about how important their ancestors were. Again, at Soul Survivor Leaders Day recently that myself and Paul went to, they talked of one church in London where the membership had fallen from the thousands to the hundreds. And it was partly because the person who'd founded the church was saying, I'm not willing to hand it over. I'm not willing to put it in their hands and not willing to let them build on my legacy. But you know, Jesus' genealogy is mentioned in two of the Gospels. The reason it's there is because it mentions Rahab, who was a prostitute. It mentions David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. It mentions people who weren't that important because Jesus wasn't about saying, my past is what's important. Jesus was saying, I'm here, I'm God's son, and I'm here for your future. I'm here for eternity. Paul is saying, stop arguing about your own self-importance. Stop, stop it being about you first. We are in book group, we're reading a book at the moment, and one of the things that came out of it last week was the word humility comes from the word humus, not hummus, that's chickpeas and other things, but humus. And it said what it means, this word humus means fertile ground. So humility comes from a word that means fertile ground. Why is that? It's ground that can grow something fruitful. It's ground that can be planted into. It's something that's teachable. 
It's something that yields to the farmer. That's humility. That is what we're called to be. We're called to be fertile, not hard, not, not ground that needs to be massively broken up, but ground that needs to be fertile, receiving. So Paul addresses how we were, and it also affects how we are. But he goes on to say how we need to be, because those two things are followed by a but. And somebody wrote, they are two of the most gracious buts in the whole Bible. Take that as you will. The first one is this. But when the kindness, verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Saved us from being foolish, disobedient, disunited, divisive. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So it starts off with where we were and where we are, and it talks about foolishness, disobedience, divisiveness, disunity, selfishness, self-centeredness, argumentative nature. But then Paul says, but. And that but comes, is followed by kindness, love, salvation, washed, renewed, poured generously. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Kindness, love, salvation, washing, renewing, pouring generously into my life. The past can be gone. The past can be dealt with. It can be put behind. But the future has to come and be followed by but kindness, but love, but salvation. He goes on to say we're justified by grace, heirs with hope of eternity, so what we were and what we are is followed by but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. Kindness and generosity means we are justified. It's nothing we can do. I've been reminded lots recently of those verses that say, while we were still sinners, Christ died. He loved us when he, when he, loved us when we, he knew what we were going to do. How much more is he going to love us now that we've accepted him into our lives? even though we continue to sometimes make those mistakes. He loves us, he loves us, and his kindness and his generosity is the thing that transforms us. This word justified, sometimes there's words in the Bible that you go, don't know what that means. And it's an old word. Maybe some of us here, if I said to you, you can be justified by Jesus this morning, you'd be like, what? What does that mean? There's two words, justified and sanctified. Justified means You've been made right. In fact, somebody once said, it's just as if I'd not sinned. Justified means it's just as if I'd not sinned, as if you'd never done anything wrong. The way to think about it practically is this. The Israelites were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They were justified. They were taken out. They were rescued. They were saved. They were made free. The journey they went on to the promised land was the sanctification just because they were justified didn't mean to say they'd got it all right. Didn't mean to say they were all right. They had to go on a journey. And it's kindness and generosity of Jesus that means we're saved. How? Because he was kind enough and generous enough to pour out his life for ours. That's what it's about. 
So in order to be transformed and be transformers, we need to recognize these buts. People who become more and more like Jesus because his spirit is in us. You know, as I, as I thought, as I think about, sometimes, sometimes my brain goes in weird places. I know you probably recognize that, you know that. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, if you've ever seen the Lion King musical, anyone seen the Lion King? And if you've seen the Lion King 2, there's a song that's in Lion King 2 that's in the musical. And it's the song that goes, he lives in you. And it's talking about Simba the lion, and it's saying, Simba, you don't need to worry about your dad because you're, he lives in you. You are taking on his characteristics. You are moving forward just like that dad that you had. Mufasa, that king that you knew, that statesman like that one who made those wise decisions, he lives in you. He lives in you. And that's what the song is saying. This morning, the Bible tells me that Jesus lives in me. He lives in me so that I can be kind and generous, that I can be poor out myself. And he lives in you if you're his. If you're a Christian, if you've said, yes, come into my life this morning, he lives in you. So what we were and what we are is meant to change. What we were and what we are has to change, to be transformed. And throughout this passage, the evidence of it is shown. And this is what we should be. Verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. When we accept him into our lives, when we're welcoming him as part of our lives, we should be ready to do whatever is good because that's what he did. He died on a cross so you could be saved. He gave everything so that you could live to be ready to do whatever is good. Verse eight, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Devote ourselves to doing what is good. Why? Because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Devoting ourselves to doing what is good. Those aren't the things. Paul makes the point, that's not what saves us. That's not the thing that's justified us. That's not the thing that's got us out of the the slavery we were in. But it's a sign of what actually has been done for us. Our actions change. They are transformed because of him in us. Verse 13, do everything you can to help. In this case, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. Not being funny, do everything you can to help a lawyer. That's definitely generous. Sorry for any lawyers that might be watching or here. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn, must learn, to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. That's what we need to be, devoted to doing what is good. Not because we just want to do good, but because we want people to see God. Because we want people to see Jesus. Because everything we do needs to be drenched in Jesus through, from the core drenched in Jesus. Three times in this passage, it mentions the same lesson. Ready to do what is good. Devote yourself to doing what is good. Do what is good and provide. Do everything you can to help. This is what we need to be transformed into. This is what Jesus' spirit, Jesus' presence, Jesus' generosity can transform us into. People who are devoted to giving, 
ourselves. This is what we become. The evidence of a life transformed isn't in our words, but it's in our actions. Our attitude and our actions will show our transformation. And as I finish, this whole letter is covered with the word grace. Not just this chapter, this whole letter. It starts with grace and peace be with you. If you were here for Mark Curtis, last week it talked about being self-controlled, but ended with these verses, 11 to 12 in chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And today's chapter finishes with grace be with you all. Do you know, what we were, what we are, and what we can be is covered by his grace, is covered by his goodness. God's grace is what we can have, and his grace is enough. It's what we need. He loves us, even though we may be difficult to love. He doesn't just love us a little, but he loves us generously. He pours out abundantly. He has the power and strength to give us, to help us control ourselves, and to save us, to make us justified just as if I'd never sinned. So despite what we were, and even what we sometimes are, the challenge this morning is that we as his church must become grace-filled, must become generous, kind, and show by our actions more and more that he lives in us, that we have been changed, and that we are continuing to be transformed. That's the message. That's the message in Titus to be changed and to continue to be transformed by his kindness, his love, and his generosity. Because he lives in me. And I pray that he will live in you. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray at this moment, I pray you your spirit pour out on all your people. Father God, I pray for those in this place who don't know that transformation, who have not experienced that change that means that they've been rescued from that slavery. Father, I pray, Lord, for those of us who've been taken out, I pray, Lord, we'll continue our journey forward into your promises. Father God, may we recognize that your grace is enough, that Jesus died to make us whole. And Father, I pray this morning in this place that you will take away any of my words and just leave people with a message you want direct to their hearts. Father God, I pray, Lord, that we will be a church that is filled with kindness, of generosity and grace. I pray, Lord, that we will be drenched in everything that is Jesus. I pray, Lord, that even as we give out our coffees, it will be drenched in Jesus. Even as we pack boxes for Christmas, it will be drenched in Jesus. Even as we serve the young people, the toddlers, whatever it may be, that it will be drenched in Jesus from the inside out so that people can see your love and know that Jesus loves them. So Father God, I pray in this place for your spirit to fall afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to invite the band up. Our prayer team will be at the back. If today you really feel that there's been that disunity, that division, then go and be prayed with. Go and say, God, I'm sorry. If you need to take someone with you, go with them.
But the most important thing is we put ourselves right with God and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be the cause of that disunity. So Father God, I pray in this place that people will respond to your message. Amen.